to the book of Ephesians, and uh, we talked about last week about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Very helpful, very practical message, and I'm saying very helpful because I use it a lot in my own life, because we need it. And this, this, this afternoon I want to speak about the key to submission. So last week we spoke about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and we saw that a spirit-filled man is not filled with anything else. He also privately worships the Lord in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Therefore, his public devotion is a clear reflection of his private spiritual life. If a man is spirit-filled, he will be thankful at all times. Thank you so much. I am thankful for this water. This is my allergy season, so I apologize for the coughing and hacking. Don't worry, it'll pass by about two months. But anyway, uh, so uh, a spiritual man will be thankful at all times for all things. That's a tough one. I had a hard day yesterday, and I was frustrated. And I was driving my car, and I banged on that council. I told the Lord how frustrated I was about something that was going on. And the Lord reminded me to be thankful for all things. So, grrr, I started listening. And I'm thankful for this. <laughs> but it helped. It really does help. But even more difficult than being thankful for everything, even more challenging than being thankful for everything, is the fact that we all have to have an attitude of submission. Meaning that a man who has an attitude of submission means he will subordinate himself to others. Submission is irrespective of the other party. Let me restate that so you can hear it. Submission is irrespective of the other party. I lost my place in my notes, so I'll read it again. Submission is irrespective of the other party. None of us can blame others for our failures. We all stand on our own before God, and a spiritual believer will be submissive, which means I am not first in my own cause. It also means I will put the needs of others above my own perceived needs. It is following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ because submission is definitely what he demonstrated when he entered into this world and took on our sin upon himself. Those with submission are not proud. They embrace humility. Furthermore, we talked about this last week, people with an attitude of submission, of submission make fantastic leaders because it's not about them. It's about the cause. And another reason why it makes them such fantastic leaders is that they are, it, their attitude enables them to help other people to be all they're supposed to be in the Lord. It is powerful. The attitude of submission. That was last week. God wants everyone to be, have an attitude of submission. This week I'm going to do, as they say in the South, in the United States, in the South, they say, I'm going to do some meddling this morning. And I'm going to talk about specific aspects of submission. Why? Because it's in the Bible. Try not to skip over parts of the Bible. Try to read it all within its context. So we're going to go through some challenging aspects of the subject of submission. We're going to get specific. There is an attitude of submission we all need to have, but there is also God-given roles of submission. Why is this so? Because everyone needs to know what God expects of him. Everyone needs to know what he's supposed to do in a given situation. Because situation ethics happen all the time. How do I respond to this? Biblical principles. 
We face conflict in life. How do we deal with the conflict? If we don't respond the right way, it leads to confusion and frustration. If we respond correctly, tension that arises can quickly be resolved. It's when people step outside their boundaries and take on roles that they were not given by God that a power struggle emerges. Power struggles shouldn't emerge among Christians if everybody knows what they're supposed to do, if everybody knows their role. And that's why we need to talk about our roles this morning. And as we do, the title of today's message is The Key to Submission. The Key to Submission. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read from verse, verse sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, should I say, verse 1 to 8. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long upon the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, when I mention the word submission, some people cringe. Lord God, because that's because they haven't been freed by your truth. Your word says you should know the truth, and truth should make you free. And if we're not walking in truth, we're not free. God, help us be free this morning as we look at what your word says. Help us embrace your word gladly and joyfully and may your word make a difference in our lives such that conflict can be resolved quickly, tension can be eased quickly, such that we should do what, we write, what, we, what we're supposed to do before the Lord, do what we're supposed to do, leaving the results of God in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Number one. Number one, the role of the servant is to submit to his servant, his masters. The role of the servant is to submit to his master. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 again. And it says here, servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Now this teaching was illustrated by our Lord when he was teaching. It says in Luke 17, verse 7 and 8, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he is come from the field, Go and sit down to meat, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. The master does not say to a servant, Oh, servant, you've worked so hard in the field. Go feed yourself. Go take a bath. Go relax for a while. When you're, when you're refreshed, come back and serve me. No, no, no. You're my servant. No, you're my servant. And therefore, I know you've worked hard in the field, but you're a servant. And as a servant, you're meant to serve me. And I, I want my meal. I'm hungry. I know you've worked hard in the field. Now make my food. Servants clearly understood their roles in New Testament times. The centurion said to our Lord, For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say unto this man, Go when he goeth, and to another man, Come, and he cometh, and to, his ser to, and to my servant's servant, do this, and he doeth it. Typo there. 
Brethren, that's lost in our society. We're living in a day and age when we were in the States last year because of uh, taking family needs, care of family needs over there. Employers were begging people to work for them. We'll do this for you. We'll do that for you. You know, I remember years ago that the army were recruiting and they were saying, you join us, we'll pay for your education. Whatever happened to valor? Whatever happened to servanthood? Whatever happened to I'm doing this for my country? Whatever happened to I'm going to dig a job? I'll be thankful for whatever I get. Hopefully they pay me properly so I can feed my family. It's lost in our society. When Josiah was working in B&Q, I mentioned to you this to you already, but those of you who haven't heard, and many, many people here haven't heard, they were saying to Josiah, can you do this? Is that okay? Is that okay? Just like him home and he laughed. He said, Dad, you never said that to me. You just said, go do it because I'm Dad. I was actually trying to raise him so he can perform properly in the real world. And he can perform quite well in the real world. But the real world doesn't seem to be performing very well, does it? We've lost the servant-master mentality. We've lost the employer-employee understanding. But it was not lost in biblical times. Servants were expected to obey their masters. Servants be obedient to them that are your masters. They got it. They understood. Believing servants had a master over their spirit. That was the Lord. And they also had a master over their flesh. Because that's what it says. Servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. So they had a master over their spirit. They had a master over their flesh. The master over their flesh was to be obeyed with fear and trembling. That's what it says. With fear and trembling. I looked it up in the Greek. You ready for some real insightfulness here? You ready for some great teaching from a great scholastic point of view? Do you know what fear and trembling means? It means fear and trembling. There you go. There's your explanation of Greek for today. It means, it means what it says. They were to obey their master sincerely, generously, bountifully. They were to do each task to their very best of their ability. No half-heartedness. No cutting corners. That's what submission means. There are many of you, and I'm so glad for the people in this church who know how to work. Because I know I'm speaking to the, to, the, to the choir when I say these things. You give your heart to your job, don't you? But many of you work with people who don't. And they're not obedient servants. In fact, they're frustrating servants. And you see them, and you're carrying them, and the other team, the rest of the team are carrying them, or maybe half the team, or a quarter of the team are carrying the rest of the team. It's very frustrating when people don't do what they're supposed to do, isn't it? That's why the Bible tells us. We have to have that submissive attitude. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're doing your job to the best of your ability, you have an attitude of submission in your job. That's a good thing, isn't it? Why do you understand that? So submission isn't so bad, is it? Not such a bad word. Submission and obedience cannot be separated. They're the same thing. Verse 6. Not with eye servants, service, as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Verse 5. Began servants be obedient. They're the same thing. Obedient service means you work hard whether you're being watched or not. It says not with eye service. That's mean somebody's watching. A young, zealous man who got saved. I think it was from Belfast. He was working in Highland and Wolf. And the work started, I think it was 9 o'clock the work started, whatever time it was. 
And uh, the lads would be out playing football because the boss, boss didn't come in until 10 o'clock. One day the boss came in early. That happens, doesn't it, now and again? And, they, uh, and he asked Willie, he said, why is everybody else playing football? And you're inside working. He looked at his boss and says, because I work for God. Amen. It's a different way of thinking. We're, we're working for the Lord. Obedience service means you're not working for eye service. You're working hard whether you're impressing your boss or not. It says not as men pleasers where you're trying to impress your boss, where you're trying to, 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 to earn points for your boss. You're not trying to earn points for your boss. You're just trying to honor God in your workplace. That's a submissive attitude. These are the people who make great employees to just get on with it. That's because they're first and foremost servants of the Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord. That's why I did it. I'm a servant of God. The obedient servant just wants to stay in God's will. Isn't that what it says in verse 6? Doing the will of God from the heart. That's all you want to do. You say, what's God's will for my life? To work hard in your job. Because your job, your employer, is like your master and you're the servant. And if you do your best, you're in the will of God right there. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a blessing? Submission, brethren, is not dependent upon treatment. Look at verse 9. It says, Ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also in heaven, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of person with him. That was written to Christians. Right now, Brother Anderson, as I said already, is in a hospital in, in, in Edinburgh. He had the stroke. He's got feeling in his right hand, praise God. He's able to move his left leg, a right leg a little bit, praise God. His speech has improved. He said, I just wish I could get my, my mind to think. I just can't seem to be able to think. I just encourage him. He said, it will come back as it will, won't it? It will come back after his stroke. They have a bed for him in Michigan, waiting for him on Tuesday if they can med fly him out. He just needs to get, out, get to, to Michigan by Tuesday. He's got a bed waiting for him. Otherwise, he'll be taken. So we pray that that happens. But his son, Ben, came over to help his dad. And his son has been by his side doing everything and serving him. His son works for a, a man in their home church in Michigan. And the, the, his, his master, if you like, is a Christian. And you know what? What a blessing. Ben, Brother Anderson's son, is the top salesman in the, in the company. His master's a Christian. Ben can spend as much time as he needs by his dad's side because he's a master who's a Christian. His master's not saying to him, when you coming back, Ben, get your act together. We need you. We need you to work. You're employed to be here. Get yourself here. He's not like that. Isn't it a blessing to have a Christian as a master? But not everybody has a Christian who's a master. In fact, most of the time, our, our, our employees, our employers aren't Christians, and sometimes they can be very difficult to work for. Are you with me here? What happens when you have someone who, who is not like that? Who's not a good master? Who's not a good person to work for? Submission is not dependent upon treatment. Masters are required to be good to their servants and be kind, verse 9 tells us. It means they're not threatening. The Bible says forbearing threatening, which means don't menace them. Don't make life difficult for them. Don't give them a nervous breakdown, basically. They should rule over their servants in the fear of the Lord, is what it says in verse 9. 
knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there any respect of person with him. <laughs> you have a master in heaven watching you, right? Boy, wouldn't you like your boss to think that sometimes? <laughs> but they don't always think that way. What you do, even if they're not good masters or good employers, servants should still submit. They still should submit. Submission is not dependent upon treatment. Submission is ultimately unto the Lord. Look at verse 5. Look at it says in verse 5 of chapter 6. Servants be obedient to your masters, unto the better your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of, of heart, your heart, as unto Christ. Verse 6, in the middle, it says here, but as a servants of Christ. Verse 7, with good will, doing service as to the Lord. So we're seeing a picture here, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, our service is always unto the Lord. Servants were to obey their masters with the same attitude, with the same intensity, with the same devotion as they would if Jesus Christ was directly their master and they were serving directly under him. That's challenging, isn't it? I'd rather have the Lord Jesus Christ as my master than, than this earthly fellow over here, wouldn't you? Because that earthly fellow gets frustrated and he curses you up and down sometimes. That earthly fella can be unreasonable sometimes and can put more on you than he needs to. Or when you've got all the files on your desk cleared, that earthly master said, ah, here's some more. And you've done your job for the day. Oh, before you go. Oh, can you work the weekend? Earthly masters can do something. The Lord wouldn't do that because the Lord would make sure you're in the house of God, wouldn't he? On, on the Lord's day. But sometimes we have difficult masters. But our service is always unto Christ. That's what the Bible says. That's how Willie, that young convert in Belfast worked. Submission to masters literally demonstrates submission to Christ. Literally. John reasons in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, He that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So follow this reasoning through. John is making the point that we, we cannot demonstrate love to a God who we had never seen with our eyes, who our hands haven't touched, how we can't handle, we can't put food in the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can't put treasures directly into his hands. The only thing we can do to honor Christ is, is to honor him, honor the people around us visibly, because we can see them. We can't see Christ, but we can see them. Therefore, we express our love for him by how we treat others. The second commandment comes from the first. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. If how we love our neighbor demonstrates how much we love God, then how we submit to the authority God has placed over us shows how we submit to God. It's the same attitude. You with me here this morning? I think that's really helpful. The role of servants is to submit to their masters, but secondly, brethren, the role of children is to submit to their parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to see these principles following through. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is... That was my kid's favorite verse growing up. They had it memorized. They could say it off path. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this, this. You can imagine John, right. Or John, not John, sorry, Josiah, right. 
He'd say it really loud. We used to sing a song, Children, obey your parents. Do you remember that one? Yep, children, obey your parents. And we'd sing it immediately, completely, respectfully, and joyfully. The kids loved it. It's easy to sing, not easy to do. What does it mean to obey? To obey means to soar subordination under, under parents. It means to conform to their commands. Children who obey parents do not argue with them. Children who obey their parents do not delay. They obey right away. Children who obey their parents do not look for reasons to disobey. Some kids are just mathematicians in their brains. They're like, you say, you, you, you tell them what they can't do, and they're thinking of every reason why. I'm telling you, our kids would make great lawyers, or solicitors, or whatever they call them. Because they have, their argumentation skills are amazing. And they will have you in knots by the end of it. When you're thinking, yeah, you're right, kids. You should be doing this. I'm wrong. Do you know what that is? It's a lack of submission. It's a lack of submission. It's disobedience. It's sin. It's sin. Instead, they children who obey, listen. And brethren, it takes a lot of hard work for children to learn to listen. It's hard. It's hard. They are to conform to the parents' commands, they are to subordinate, which means to submit to parental authority. Why? Why should children submit to the parents? I mean, we live in a day and age where the parents are meant to submit to the child. If a parent does anything wrong, the children are given numbers that they can call. And you can go to the school and you can report your parents to the, kid, to, to the school board. And I mean, you're in trouble. Social services are on your case, whether you're innocent or guilty. But the point is this. It seems like children have more rights than parents. Am I right or am I wrong? Yeah. I, th I think I'm right. I think our society is upside down. So why then should children obey their parents? I'll tell you why, because it's right. That's why. Man, the good old-fashioned right and wrong still exists, right? Children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's right. Anything else is unrighteous. Right means righteous. Anything else is unrighteous. It's wrong for children to disobey their parents. It's sin. If children don't obey their parents, they're in sin. Simple as. That's what obedience means. But obedience is not dependent. And listen to me, children. Obedience is not dependent upon how parents parent. It's not. Parents should be not provoking their children to wrath. Look at verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Parents should be doing that. They are not to stir them up. I mean, it's like the old-fashioned cauldron with the porridge in it to feed everybody in the town. And you've got the big stick in it. And parents can be like that. They can stir their children up to wrath. They're not supposed to. Armchair parenting can enrage children. To stir, to stir a child to rap is to enrage them. Armchair parenting just enrages children. What, you say, what's armchair parenting? You sit back in your lazy boy and you lazily say, do this, don't do this. If I have to get up to you. That's armchair parenting. You don't get up and you don't deal with the issue. And I tell you, when you're tired after a long day of work, the last thing you want to do is get out of your armchair. Isn't that true? Am I right or am I wrong? It's hard. You want an armchair parent. Just do what I said. Just leave the room. You know, you just throw commands. 
But it stirs up Mishun Jarath, it just does. Breathing out threatenings. Do you know what breathing out threatenings is? No more Christmases, no more birthdays, no more this, no more that. You'll get no pocket money ever again in your life, ever. I will not turn up to your wedding. No, I'm just kidding. I've never said that. Never said that. I have done the birthdays and Christmas. No, I'm just joking. Okay. But breathing out threatenings can enrage our, ch enrage our children. Unfair discipline. Ever done that before? Do you know what? I hate to be cruel, but life is hard. And sometimes parents get it wrong. And we just have to get past it. I'm not going to have a great big powwow with my kids and try to explain why dad was just so wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll apologize, but then we move on. Parents sometimes get it wrong. Life isn't always fair. Sometimes children face unfair discipline and unfair parents. Punishment, but it can enrage, it can enrage children. Parents are not always fair. I want to tell you something as young people. Parents sometimes get frustrated. It is so easy to parent when you don't have kids. You look at that kid throwing a fit in, in Littles and you say, if I was their parent, I'd tell them, I wouldn't get away with that. Wouldn't happen in my home. <laughs> Till you have your own kids and the kid throws himself on the floor. Now what are you going to do? Jump. <laughs> I know what you do. But parents can get frustrated with their children. And parents can say things they don't mean. And parents can be a bit rash, a bit harsh with their punishment. Parenting is very hard work and parents are not always patient. I know children are like, wow, I never knew that. <laughs> In frustration, parents can sometimes provoke their children to run. But what I'm trying to hear, what I'm here to say to you this morning is that's never an excuse for disobedience. You cannot use the failure of your parents as an excuse for your failure. Two wrongs don't make a They don't. Parents are to train their children in the Lord. Look at verse 4. And you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the word. Of the Lord, I'm sorry. Nurture means consistent education and appropriate punishment. And if ever there was a day that we our children need consistent education, it's now. In the old days, and I'm really dating myself, everybody went to church. They don't go to church anymore. They're not going to learn any morality that they used to learn in church. They're not going to learn that anymore. In the old days, and I'm dating myself, you learned right or wrong when you were in school because the teacher expected right and expected and was able to call right, right, wrong, wrong. That day has changed. In the old days, if they found good friends, they would have a good influence and then they, they would at least have a value system of right and wrong among their peers. That day is gone. Where are children going to learn right and wrong? Two places. One hour a week on a Sunday, unless you decide I want, to be, I want more than that for my family. At home. They have got to get teaching from you. Because I want to tell you here this morning, if they don't get it from you, they're not going to get it from anyone else. There is nowhere else for them to get it. You're it. That's it. You're saying, I didn't want all this. Well, you have the kids, you're going to have to deal with them, right? Parents have to. They have to learn to be consistent in their education and of their children and appropriate in their punishment of children. Josiah, Josh, and I went to Bun Hill 
burial ground in London, and we were looking at the graves of famous people who've gone by, John Bunyan, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, John Newton, you know, Amazing Grace, you know, there's Susanna Wesley, and, we were, and, and I was thinking about the words of Susanna Wesley, and she was asked a question, why do you keep telling your children a hundred times to do the same thing? Man, I can relate to that. And she, her response was brilliant. If I told them, I would be afraid if I only told them 99 times, they wouldn't get it. Do you ever find yourself repeating yourself and repeating yourself and repeating yourself and repeating yourself? Repeating yourself and repeating yourself and repeating yourself to your children? Yes! Is the answer yes. Why? Because parenting is a work of patience and they need admonition and they need nurture and they need instruction. It's just being a parent, right? Our pet, our first pet was a goldfish. I said, well, first of all, we were renting houses, and when we were renting, usually in the lease, you're not allowed to have a pet. Praise the Lord. Actually, <laughs> I see amens in the back. Can I hear an amen? No, you don't. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But my first, the first year, my first time was a goldfish. And you know, the great thing about a goldfish is they just go round and round in circles. Just round and round. They're no hassle. When they're done, you just send them down a big long roller coaster ride into the, you know, the, the water slide, you know? That's it. Goldfish are great. But you know what? The thing about a goldfish is, the goldfish has a memory of five seconds. So you have to introduce yourself every time five seconds to the goldfish. Hey, I'm your master, hey, hey. You go around and think, hey, who's this? Oh, I'm your master, hey. And they have a goldfish, they have a memory of five seconds. Just like our children. A memory of five seconds. That's why we have to keep telling them the same thing again and again. They need admonition, they need those reminders. But even if parents do not give all the reminders that they should to the children, children are still required to obey. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. Great verse. Each child has to decide, do I want it to go well with me? I'll tell you, the children who are rebellious, who are stubborn, who won't listen to their parents, who argue with their parents, they've made up their minds, I don't want to have a good life. I just argue, it's just my way of communicating. Fine. You just don't want a good life. Your life's going to be hard. You say, how do you know? Because the Bible says so. If you want an easy life, stop arguing with your parents. Each child has to decide if he wants to live a long life full of blessings. That's what the Bible says. That thy life, that, that, that thou mayest live long on the earth. Now, there's no point in living long if you're miserable. We've said that before. Each child has to decide, do I want, do I want a life full of blessings? Such blessing is only guaranteed by those who honor and obey their parents. The role of the servant is to submit to their masters. The role of the children is to submit to their parents. Now don't switch me off. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. I need to brace yourself here. The role of wives is to submit to their husbands. Say so why? Because the Bible says so. Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 24. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, 
even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. God is a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. God is a God of order. In society, we have order. At least we're supposed to. In the church, we have order. Some people, I thought it was humorous, would, would, would go up to certain speakers and they'd say, you know, I don't like organized religion. And he would come back and say, well, what do you want, disorganized religion? I just thought it was humorous. But, but God doesn't, disorganized religion doesn't honor God. Everything has to be organized. Organization gives goals. Organization gives, gives peace. Organization gives structure. And people who don't have structure are insecure. You know the thing is that children fight and fight and fight against structure, and then they're the most insecure people you've ever come in your life, you've ever come across in your life. Do you realize that we have a mental health catastrophe in our country right now? Who has produced this mental health catastrophe? I'll tell you very simply. The government and the media. They have pushed all sorts of stuff on children that they can't handle. And I'm constantly reading that there are not enough resources for people to be able to handle their mental health issues. And you know what? That wasn't that way in my day. There were very few people who had mental health issues. There were some. But it's much more now. I'll tell you why. Because the structure is being broken down. The wall is being torn down. The foundation is being ripped to shreds and people are insecure. We need proper foundations, we need proper walls, we need proper structure, otherwise we feel insecure. Would you agree with that? So we have a structure that God has given us in our homes and it's called the husband being the head, the wife underneath that, the children underneath that. God has chosen the husband to lead in the relationship and the wife to follow. That's God's choice. Her submission means that she positions herself under her husband. It means that she is under obedience. It means she is subdued in everything. That's what the Bible says. In all things. We just read it in verse 24. In everything. I'm sorry. In everything. Now, it would be so much easier for wives to do their part if husbands would do their part. Isn't that right? So much easier. Look at verse 28. The Bible says in verse 28, So ought, ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife, love himself. And if husbands would love their wives as their own bodies, wives would say, well, I won't submit to someone like that. That's wonderful. Verse 29, it says, For no man yet ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. If she nourished and cherished her as the Lord does his church, she said, of course I'd be able to submit to someone like that. Verse 30, it says here, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. If he would be one flesh with his wife, of course, oh, I'd, I'd easily submit to a person like that. It'd be much easier for the husband, if the husband would consider the wife and value her as he should, then she would be so much happier to submit. And I ask the question, really? Really? We all have something called sin nature. And in our sin nature, even when the conditions are perfect, we all buck up against authority. Isn't that true? Why? Because we want to. It's in us. And God has his answer. 
God has his answer and God has told us, here's your organizational structure. This is what I want of you servants. This is what I want of you children. This is what I want of you wives. This is how everything keeps together and everybody needs to do their part. And the wives might say, it'll be so much easier. I've heard so many say, it'll be so much easier. If, and it probably would be easier. Then I'd do it. Maybe. Maybe. The question is, what if he doesn't obey the husband? What if the husband is stubborn and rebellious himself? Even though he's the leader, he can be stubborn and rebellious. King Saul was the leader of Israel. Would you describe him as stubborn and rebellious? Yeah. What if the husband's stubborn and rebellious? Servants can be stubborn and rebellious. Masters can be stubborn and rebellious. Children can be stubborn and rebellious. Parents can be stubborn and rebellious. But what is a wife's responsibility? Well, I want to tell you this morning, the wife's responsibility is not dependent on the husband's responsibility. It's not. It's not okay for the servant to say, I will submit to the master only if he's kind. It's not okay for the child to say, I will submit to my parents if they respect me. I need my respect, they might say. It's not okay for wives to say, I will submit to my husband if he cherishes me. The servant, the child, and the wife all have to give account to God for their responses. Isn't that true? Submission on the part of the wife is very, very powerful. I want you to understand this. It's a very powerful weapon. I'm going to call it a weapon here. First Peter chapter 3. Let's all turn there. First Peter chapter 3. I just wanted to see God's plan. God's plan always works. God's plan is always best. God always knows best. You can't have a home where there's a vying for power and there's a struggle for power and there's a battle for power. It's not going to be a happy home. Wives have to do what's right even if he won't. Submission on the part of the wife is very powerful. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Likewise, ye wives, be in submission or subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. So there is the caveat there. Some husbands just won't obey the word. They just are in rebellion against God. They're not in submission to him. And she may say, well, I don't want to submit to him because he's not in submission to God. Well, God says this. If he's like that, it says here, that they may without the word. So in other words, you don't use the word of God against them. You don't preach at them. I've seen so many wives open their Bibles and read the Bibles. This is what the Bible says. You meant to me, husband. How do you think that's going to be there? I would say this if a wife took out her Bible, started Bible bashing her husband, and he took it, he'd have to be a big win. Men don't, well, do not take that. Because it's not right. She can actually reach her husband without the word. And he can be won by the conversation, which is the life of the wife. Her submission means that she positions herself underneath her husband, and when he won't do right, guess what happens when she does that? It says, verse 2, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, when he sees the attitude of his wife, even she's not using the Bible to, to Bible bash him, she's not criticizing him, she's not confronting him, she's not doing any of those things, she's just doing what she's supposed to do, and he's getting convicted. He's thinking, oh, she's doing right on that's what wives are supposed to do. They're supposed to win husbands. 
Because the natural response would be to nag him or belittle him or battle with him. But brethren, if you haven't figured that out already, I'll, tell, I'll say it again. It never works. It doesn't work. It just ends up in fireworks. It tears away the whole fiber of the home. The spirit-filled response of the wife is to give in. And I want to tell you something. I know that's not easy. I know it's hard. In the same way it's hard for the husband who's working for a difficult employer to give in, it's hard for a wife in her own home to give in to a husband who's difficult. In the same way it's, children, it's hard for children to give in and obey their parents when, when they won't do what's right or, they're, or they're, not, they're not bringing their children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, but they're meant to obey their parents because that's what the Bible says. And it's hard. It's hard for the wife. I get it. I get it. It's not easy. But brethren, it's a spirit-filled response. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the fruit, and the Bible teaches that you read through it, that the fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit is an attitude of submission, even when it's hard. I know this lady, her name is Phil, and she was over in Germany several years ago, I mean 30-something years ago. And she was on, uh, they were taking a trip around Germany and taking the trains in Germany. It's a lot of fun. I've done it before. Maybe you've done it. I, I, maybe you haven't. I'd recommend it. It's just fun to travel around Germany a little bit. And she was going to get a train and her husband says, no, that's the wrong train. And she knew it was the right train. And he said, no, that's the wrong train. And he was digging in his heels. We need to take that train. And she said, okay. And she went with him. And he went the wrong way. And she was right and he was wrong. It would have been so easy for her to look at him and say, See? I told you. I don't think she did. That one must have been really hard. That must have been so hard. Harder than submission to him and getting on the wrong train would have been not saying anything when, she, when, when he realized she was right. Because men, sometimes our wives are right. <laughs> Maybe a bit more than sometimes. But brethren, I'm here to, this morning to tell you that God puts great value on that sweet spirit of submission. Verse 3, it says here, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, whose adorning let it not be of that outward adorning of plaiting the hair, wearing of gold, putting on of apparel. Don't put on the pizzazz and say, my beauty comes by the way I look. No good. Not that women shouldn't look beautiful. Or dress up for their husbands. I'm not saying that at all. Once it's in a godly fashion, you understand not to dress horishly, which this world does. Verse 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Read those verses, that end of that verse, which is in the sight of God of what? Great When a woman submits to her husband, when he's a difficult man, she's shown how beautiful she really is. That's a rarity. And it's something that God looks at and says, I, I see that one. There's not a lot of times in the Bible where God really takes note of things that we do. But I want to tell you this morning, when a wife submits to her husband when he's not doing the right thing, God looks at that and he takes note of that. He says, that's beautiful. It's great price. Brethren, our Lord puts tremendous value on her sweet, submissive spirit. 
so that next time, wives, you're struggling to submit to your husband for whatever reason. Maybe he's a good husband, a great husband, whatever. But the next time you're struggling, just remember how beautiful you are to the Lord when you give in. The title of this morning's message, I said, is The Key to Submission. And perhaps you're wondering, <laughs> we haven't talked about the key. Well, I'm going to tell you now. The key to submission is you have no choice. There is no option. You just have to do it. It's not an option. The scriptures command servants to submit to their masters. It does not depend on the attitude of the master. It is not optional. It's a command of God. The scriptures command children to submit to their parents. It is not dependent upon the parenting of the parents. It's not optional. It's a command of God. The scriptures command wives to submit to their husbands. It does not depend on the performance of the husband. It is not optional. It is a command of God. And quite frankly, the only way a servant will submit to his master and children will submit to their parents and, 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 and that wives will submit to their husbands when it's difficult and when it's hard and when these people are difficult to work with is when they're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We need God. So many people who claim to be Christians throw up their hands in the air and say, I just can't do this. But that's because you're doing it without God. Can I show you a new way? When you got saved, you repented of your sin, you put your faith in Jesus. The old man was put to that cross. When you got baptized, you made a statement, you said, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, I'm leaving the old life behind, I'm going a new way. When you got saved, I presume God filled you with his Holy Spirit. When you made spiritual decisions like baptism, I presume God filled you again with his Holy Spirit. When you confess your sin, God fills you again with his Holy Spirit. We're meant to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's the power behind our Christian lives, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And if you look at this and say, I can't do this, that's, you're living a life without the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying it's not hard. It is hard. I confess it's hard. I struggle with this like you do. We all struggle with it. But when the Spirit of God empowers you and the Spirit of God helps you, you can. I can do all things through Christ, which is not the Bible says. We can. We can. We can. But we need God's help. Because if we don't have God's help, brethren, this is what's going to happen. We're going to look for every reason not to obey this. Every reason. And I can tell you, we'll find them. We will. May our gracious Lord help us so that we can be filled with his Holy Spirit and have that attitude of submission even when it's hard. Can we go to the Lord in prayer and bring out these things before the Lord?